0: Anyway, Shadi, I think we're live now.
1: Okay, let's see if my tweet worked.
0: Let's see. Oh, no. Huh. Why didn't the the tweet work? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah? You all right?
1: The, the, The little window didn't come up. Hopefully, it'll come up this time.
0: You're redoing it? Yeah. Oh.
1: Okay, let me... Uh, here's the link. People are joining. That's good to see.
0: That is good to see.
1: It would be sad otherwise. Can you imagine having a launch that... Uh, but no one came? No one came.
0: You throw a party <laughs> and no one shows up? I don't know. You know, honestly, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I I, uh, I don't mind... Um, treating this just like a regular podcast that is to say unscripted and not really paying attention to whether people are paying attention yeah yeah it's a little it's a little less stressful that way for me anyway is it all working you good
1: i think so okay well, yeah. yeah i think um i see it the wind the, the video's up
0: all right good i'm not looking at it ever again
1: the crowds can join us so yeah. i mean um
0: So exciting. Look, I mean, you know, I feel like I feel a little bad in the sense that we just haven't had content in a while. Uh, I don't know. When's the last time we we uh, uh, we wrote that debate? That was like two weeks ago at this point, it feels like. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It might have even been before the Republican National Convention.
0: It was almost certainly before the Republican National Convention. Yeah. Whenever
1: that was. Um, But, you know, I think that um, it's nice to build. Build up to something big, and I guess that's what we're all here for. I mean I like I, we should tell people though this is completely unscripted. This is our official launch, but I really <laughs> have no idea what we're gonna talk about yeah. so it's it's gonna be just as much as a surprise for you guys as as it is for uh, for us and and for me but um yeah, so i um, I mean once we have a critical mass of people, I think we can tell them where to go and tell them about the website.
0: I don't know. I think, I think you got to you got to treat this like a podcast, Shadi, because now imagine people time shiftedly are going to be listening to this and waiting for a critical mass to show up.
1: Oh no! Yeah, yeah I think we already have a bunch of people. Okay, let's just t- let's just tell them what the deal is.
0: Yeah. So look, the yeah, deal on, is. You tell them. <laughs> so
1: basically, um, we are launching the new Wisdom of Crowds. So you can check out the website actually right now. It's at wisdomofcrowds.live. WisdomofCrowds.live, L I V E is how that that live is spelled. <laughs> so Correct. And it's an it's an amazing uh, like I the first time I saw this new redesigned website, I fell in love with it. And all credit to Demir no. for coming up with the design. So if no, you no, like no, no, it, no, 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 no he's no, very no, no. modest.
0: I mean, no, that's that's really nice. But let's let's actually, I mean, I think I think there's an interesting story behind this. Yeah. And I, I I I think this is what I want to talk about first, and then we can actually uh, take this into real podcast territory. But for me, you know, I mean, you and I have been talking about this now, it feels like probably two months. When do we start? I think we started the newsletter about two months ago, and shortly after we started, um, I got a little nervous about it because we had, like, too many separate platforms going at the same time. We had... um uh Patreon for people like you know supporting our work. We had Substack, and then we had the actual the same uh, URL that you just gave, Wisdom of Crowds Live, where where the podcast lived. But of course, people listen to podcasts in all sorts of weird different ways, and you know, like is it is it iTunes? Is it this? Is the other thing? So uh, the first thing was like, I just we need to unify it. So we've been talking about how to do that and how to get that like set and finished. Um, and it took a little while to do it. But the other thing, and I think this is the part that, to me anyway, is is more interesting and maybe sort of can tie into sort of stuff that's going on these days. I really wanted to do a uh, a single place that isn't tied to a platform, like that's not tied to Substack, that's not tied to Patreon. And it's not because we're terribly controversial or anything like that. I mean, I don't think what we do is, is you know, all that uh, edgy that we're going to run afoul. But it has been just sort of fascinating to me how all of this insanity that's been happening um, online and, and in our sort of popular culture, the woke wars, canceling, all the rest of it, it's all tied to the fact that that there are no independent people anymore. Everyone is on some stupid platform somewhere. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that the Substack folks are at least nominally woke. Uh I'm pretty sure that uh uh Patreon uh has had some sort of free speech issues in the past. I don't think we're going to run afoul of any of that. That's not what we do generally. I don't think. Who knows? But you know what? Like my my main inspiration is like just like a big screw that to all of it and it's been interesting watching you know how everyone's starting their own thing from sullivan to you know yasha monk's thing and they're all relying on these platforms now i get it you got to start something quickly we did it too we just sort of did like a a test thing but it's uh it feels really good just to like be in control of it we're using this platform called ghost now uh i built it shoddy was basically uh we were going back and forth on a semi-daily basis on the design, so that's why it's wrong to say that it's my design. Shadi, without you, I have some old designs we can look at. Oh, my and God, the, see. Old,
1: the old designs were so bad, and this is where I really had to step in. And, I mean, I have a very weird, or maybe it's not weird, but I have a distinctive taste in website aesthetics. So I told Demir, Helvetica, in big letters, black on white, that sounds yeah, that's not bad. bad. But no, that's literally what the website looks like, and with a period at the end. So when you see the logo, that's what you guys are gonna see. Yeah. So um, I I hope you guys like it. Um, and you know, I guess a lot of you probably know what Wisdom of Crowds is about, but maybe we'll just say you know very briefly that um we are. It's not just about a different design and a unified website. It's also about a different ethos. We're doing something different, and we think um a lot of the stuff out there. Um, We're not here to persuade or convince or to argue for the sake of it. Wisdom of Crowds is about trying to interrogate our own premises. Why do we believe the things that we believe? And you'll notice that if you listen to our podcast, a lot of it is um, Demir and I going back and forth, pushing and challenging each other, and we're trying to get to the fundamental question. So, and I'm, I'm someone who's of the belief that Most policy disagreements and most political disagreements are actually can actually be traced back to disagreements over first principles. So we're getting in all these angry debates online on Twitter and we can't figure out why we can't speak to each other. But a big part of it is we don't realize that our starting assumptions are completely different than the people we're debating with. And we think it's better to be straight up and frank about those different starting assumptions and to talk about them openly and without apology. And, you know, once we know once we know what those are, then we can have a more intelligent conversation and challenge each other, not on dumb little things, but on the big questions. And I think for me, those are about religion, identity, culture, the nation. Those are the issues that we're interested in um, in the podcast and the newsletter. So it, it, it was initially a podcast. Then we started the newsletter, which usually is in the format of what we call debates, where it's me and Demir in written form. So Demir will start with the first round. I'll respond. We'll go back and forth. And that way we show our work. You guys see how we're actually discussing this in writing. Um, And then we started out started up uh, a a new format as well on the on the newsletter, which is now going to be on this main website, which is called First Drafts, where instead of full fledged op eds that you that, you know, I write for the Atlantic or Demir writes for uh, the American interest or wherever else that we actually want to test out ideas and put them out there in not in not fully fledged form. And we say, listen, you guys are the crowd. Tell us what you think. This is a little bit rough and we're exploring. And we want to have a place where people can feel comfortable putting out ideas that they're maybe not a hundred percent done with or sure of, but they at least start a conversation. And so far those have been really great because the comments section has been incredible, largely due to our wonderful readers and, and listeners. So that's just a basic idea. You know, I we should also say most of our content is going to be um uh, m- many or most we'll see many of our posts or most of our posts and writing will be free and open to everyone however some posts and some episodes of the podcast will be for members and we hope that this will be doable for you a lot of you guys uh, and i feel like i feel like a salesman here but um it'll be five dollars per month to get access to those articles and posts and podcast episodes you can also pay fifty dollars annually and save some money. So we'd encourage you when you go on the website, if you want to get access to this, this, um, new and extra content that we will be putting out, please consider spending $5 a month, which I guess is what a latte costs. So, you know, okay. If I I think a lot of you guys can afford that. Um, it's just a lot. Yeah. Anyway. So,
0: so, you know, I, again, I, I'm just to, uh, I don't know. Make make the 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 sales pitch a little bit more again substantive about why we're doing it this way. I, I just find this stuff sort of interesting. So if you'll indulge me, Shadi, uh, hopefully some other people out there do too. It's it's fascinating. Like the kind of cut that that like Patreon and and uh, and Substack take. I mean, of course, they have a business. They need to they need to uh, you know run a business to to do this sort of stuff. But again, if you're starting up something right now. Uh, you're just handing everything over to uh, to these companies. That again, I wish them well. But like you know, it's it's funny how uh, it, it seems like you know what this feels like. Just building this, it feels like kind of a blog from from way back when. And a lot of people have noted how going on to Substack is sort of bringing back some kind of uh, you know golden era of um, of blogging uh, back to the internet. But it's interesting how when blogs got snatched up and sort of like by, you know, large media companies, I don't know, it feels like some of that, you know, easy entrepreneurial sort of spirit, not entrepreneurial, because no one really figured out how to monetize those things. But people were hosting and running their own things a lot more. Um, And I don't know, I I, I, kind of hope that that some of that can be brought back. I'm not Necessarily, I mean, if we get lucky and you know we we uh, we nail this as we as we go forward, Shoddy, maybe we can retire on this. But but for me, really, it's it's just sort of building something that is worth my time. Um, if people are into it, they can support. It's as self sustaining as it can be, and we do it for the love of the game because that's what what I don't know what it is for me. You know, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, we. Yeah. Okay. We
1: we love we love this. And it's been so much fun to do this because um, I mean, not to go overboard about this, but I think it is fair to say that Demir and I really like ideas. We like we like talking about them. That's what we do. That's what we do when we're hanging out socially. Uh maybe in a um I mean we probably say more inappropriate things if there is no um recording, but we're still I think that we're still pretty irreverent we're still pretty straight up even when we're being recorded.
0: We're no and, Red Scare, um, that's true.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Those and, guys are- um
1: Yeah, Red Scare is a podcast that's very, very irreverent. I don't know if we can aspire to quite that. But I think I think the goal ultimately is for Demir to become the Joe Rogan of philosophy, of podcast what, philosophy. What will you become?
0: <laughs> it's a
1: good question. We can both be the Joe Rogans. Um, yeah. So, um, you, know, what, you know, is it possible to bring philosophy and big ideas about culture and religion to a bigger audience of people who don't feel served by the New York Times or the MSM, as they're apparently called? Um also, we should know there is a storm going on outside.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't hear so this anything. Is a perfect, I'm
1: fine. This is a perfect place to be Like while this storm is happening. There's literally nothing you can do in D.C. right now. So I'm sure a lot of you guys are just like, whatever. Let's just listen to Shadi and Demir uh, talk. Um, so maybe oh, we should like get into some substantive yeah, issues so here, that are on our minds, right? Yeah.
0: So, so here, here's what's on my mind again, just to sort of pivot off of this. You know, going indie and, and not being, um, you know, having your own sort of uh, fate in your hands. Shadi, what do you think? Do you, are you are you worried about about Biden? I feel like that's the thing that's that's now like kicking up a lot, and and the the key to the being worried about Biden right is the question of um, well again, like whether there's 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 too much overreach happening by by Democrats and the left, like not even the left because we're not even talking about i think i think the uh the real sort of you know fringe people, but are people too confident in how things are going and not seeing their blind spots? What do you think yeah,
1: so i'm I'm definitely nervous. I I was nervous while I was watching the RNC. And some look, I mean, we know that I have contrarian instincts. Sometimes people attack me for that. So when I'm watching something like the Republican Convention and everyone I see on Twitter is being smug and making fun of it and being like, oh, who are these losers and dumb people and all that? Immediately when I see that kind of left, left of center consensus developing, I'm like, uh if everyone if the crowds on Twitter all think this is terrible, then there's a good chance the crowds are missing something because the crowds aren't always wise.
0: Yeah, right. But so what are they missing? You think? I mean, cause here, here's here's the thing, right? Um, I thought Biden did a good speech on Monday. Um, I uh, haven't listened to The New York Times podcast uh, this week uh what do they call it the discussion the debate whatever the one that like Douth hits on frequently the argument um, the argument the argument um but a friend told me that that uh basically ross was just sort of you know ganged up upon by by the other two in a in a you know particular way uh for the one because he was saying that that uh you know looting invites vigilantism and that that was kind of a you know, uh, a comment that was almost considered beyond the pale, and the other bit being that I think it was Michelle Goldberg again. I, this is now secondhand. I, I can't believe I'm actually talking about something I haven't listened to, but that <laughs> she was sort of saying something along the lines of, um, uh, you know, uh, Biden did what he needed to do to convince. I don't think she said she wouldn't have said on on the air, but apparently it was sort of you know by the tone implied. Uh, the sort of foolish suburban voters who are freaked out by this sort of stuff. So Biden did what he needed to do. But we know that Biden's on the right side of things, etc, etc. I, you know, I mean, there's two things there. On the one hand, if Biden can pull it off convincingly and convince suburbanites that he's on their side and is, you know, concerned about law and order and the rest of it. And, you know, if he can keep the left on board while he does that, fine. You know, I'd I'd like to see Biden be president. I think uh, I'm not sure that that The country can really handle another four years of of Trump. But at the same time, I do wonder whether and now, you know, leave Michelle Goldberg aside, like I said, I haven't I haven't watched it. But if there isn't a blind spot among Democrats writ large, where they think that there is nothing bad about a lot of the stuff that they are, I don't know, backing, it's too strong a word countenancing, uh, that there isn't a real danger of just alienating, what I think is is still uh, a kind of convincible center that is horrified by police brutality, is cognizant of inequality based on racial sort of uh, categories, wants to do something about it, but just hasn't bought into all this bullshit that is, quite frankly, um, you know, part and parcel of how the left talks about it, you know, the ideology stuff. So I don't know. And uh, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, maybe Biden just gives a couple of more speeches like this. Cause I, like I said, I thought he did a really good job this week and it, it doesn't matter. But what do you think? I mean, are people, uh, is there something wrong with what, what, what their, uh, with that sort of blind spot there? Like, can that lead to something bad? What do you think?
1: Yeah. Well, um, so I guess there's a couple things I'd say here. Uh, uh, so I, I have I think we all have to be careful because it's easy to feel that the discourse is distorted, because if we're on Twitter every day, there's a suspiciously large number of lefties who are maybe not pro but are indulgent and yeah. find ways to justify. This kind, of, um, this kind of activity in the name of justice. There is that sort of thing going on. In the broader American population, I think it's fair to assume that the number of people who support property damage, destruction of communities, and looting is relatively small. I mean, I guess it would be 10% or lower. At the New York Times though, it might be 20% for all I know. And of course there are prominent New York Times journalists who have essentially made the argument that violence isn't violent if it's just about property or whatever. Um, destroying buildings is just like um, a kind of um, aggressive protest or something like that. But this this desire to redefine the word violence is an odd preoccupation on certain subsections of the left. Now, um, Now, the question is how much does Twitter matter? And this is, I think, what we all struggle with. Um, But elite discourse does matter because um, it affects journalism, it affects how people report on the news. Um, It certainly affects how the right views. So, I mean, if we're talking about right wing folks, they're also following Twitter and seeing these extreme examples of people who are defending looting. And then they're sharing that with maybe people who aren't on Twitter, but people who are listening to them. And they're saying, look. Here's what the left is saying and doing. Beware. Be careful. This is what will happen if Biden wins. So we shouldn't overstate it. And I hope that it isn't. I mean, obviously, there are Republicans and Donald Trump himself and others at the convention were overstating this. But I think we have to be careful. because um, in a very close race, a small number of votes can make a difference. So even if 5% of the population is affected by this elite discourse, that's 5% that can push the election one way or the other. But also more broadly, putting aside whether or not Biden wins, I also worry about these intellectual trends in the longer term, that bad ideas need to be fought. They need to be challenged. And when I see otherwise smart people who I don't think are malevolent, I don't think they're bad people, but they let themselves get trapped in this very ridiculous, dumb discourse where they're trying to find ways to explain away acts of violence and looting and rioting. I just feel like people are better than that, Um, unless unless on fact, unless unless in fact they aren't better. Than it. and what i what I'm starting to realize, and we've talked about this before in previous podcast episodes, I mean, I'm sympathetic to social democracy and democratic socialism insofar as I think that inequality and class divides are very important and people don't pay enough attention to them. And that's one reason I don't, I don't love the woke discourse because it starts to see everything in terms of skin color and race and immutable characteristics. I would rather look at poverty as a causal variable, uh, class inequality as a causal variable. And that's why I supported Bernie Sanders. However, what I am realizing now is that there are people who, for, for them, revolution is not just a term of art it's not just rhetoric they actually want revolution in the sense of burning everything down
0: yeah how and, many how many people do you think actually want revolution or i mean that's a thing like there's a lot of stupid people out there i think that's 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 the part that that's that's always worth keeping in mind right i it's it's and i don't know like how much of this is just again someone someone just said it on 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 twitter it's like yeah i mean and we've talked about it here. Like, basically, it's it's safe to ignore a lot of the rhetoric on Twitter. But then, as you said, you know, I mean, people are writing and burning stuff down and legitimizing it. And even if it's a small number of people, I mean, generally, there's always revolutions are, are done by a small cadre of sort of forward leaning people that then try and tip the rest of society. The way. vanguard, if you will. The vanguard. No, exactly. So, I mean, I guess the, I guess the 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 problem is this, as I see it, right? Is that you have uh, a vanguard in uh, in Russia, let's say, pushing revolution, um, but society's ripe for it, and the the system is really really weak. I guess my main worry, and I've been sort of, insofar as I get on Twitter and rant about this, it's been it's been against the people who think that everything's okay with what they're doing, not because I think that you know, they'll be successful. Uh it's that I think they're they're very likely to alienate a lot of people. I mean, I I'm still not convinced that they can alienate even the the most blood curdling, stupid revolutionary talk that's out there these days is not enough to alienate uh, I think, convincible middle of the road voters that are leaning against Trump anyway, because I don't know, Trump has been so demonstrably disastrous, you know, um I think. Uh that 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 I'm still not really worried. But but it's it's the fact that like we're not I think anywhere close to being at a revolutionary moment right now. And you know, I mean I was sort of having some trolley fun uh earlier this week around the time of, of of, Biden's speech, um really celebrating the fact that he was kicking the left in the teeth and it was sort of like I was being truculent about it on Twitter. Um Basically, just to rile up lefties, just be like, no, no, he's not abandoning us. No, it's like, yeah, he is abandoning you. He might not be, is the thing. I, I was, that's just basically trolling. But it's important, I think, The the key thing that was behind that that part of me uh, sort of um, uh, goading people uh, is that fundamentally, I think the revolutionaries are wrong. We're not at a revolutionary moment, you know? Like, I think you have a, a convincible section of the populace that— is open to sort of incremental change on inequality, police reform, uh, incarcerations, all of that. Uh, but none of these people actually want to rewrite the social contract, the American social contract, yeah, at all.
1: Look, I think I think you're right for for most people, and and you're it, go, it does go back to that that small, loud minority, as you mentioned. But I think you know what this. What the last few months have really clarified for me is just to what extent I'm anti-revolutionary, yeah. um, and I think that Demir, you've helped me, you've helped me in this direction. Like when I was in my Bernie mode and all that, I think that you were always a voice of of um, of care and pessimism and caution, and now we're seeing the danger of using words in a way that maybe is not appropriate. I think that I support revolution. In autocratic autocratic context. So when people say Shadi, well, you you've done all this work in the Middle East. You've actually been at revolutions in the moment. So you know when I was in Tahrir Square when Mubarak fell, um, you know nine years ago, um, and they're like, well, how come you don't apply the same principles to the U.S.? And it's for a very simple reason: I don't believe that revolution is appropriate in democracies. That's the whole point of democracy is to prevent revolution by giving people legitimate, peaceful outlets to express their grievances. If they're not going to take those peaceful outlets and instead they're going to go around destroying and burning things down, then that sort of defeats the purpose of of uh, of the democratic outlet as an idea. Um, and I think that I take that very seriously, that um I'm very much a minimalist in the sense that I don't think Americans need to agree on much. They don't have to agree on basically anything, actually. The one thing, though, they have to commit to is that there is a democratic process that is to be respected. And what that requires is a commitment to nonviolence. So you commit yourself to nonviolence. You commit yourself to democratic outcomes. You commit yourself to participating through the electoral process. That is how change happens now. Is it is it far less than ideal? Of course. Is change slow? Yes. And that's why I think Bernie was appealing because what he offered what he offered the promise of was a more aggressive and and faster and less incrementalist approach to change than is than what we're what we're used to. But he was still Committing to working within the American system. Otherwise, he wouldn't run for president. The very act of running for president means that you believe the system can work. Um, So Bernie, I think, caught this interesting sweet spot of saying we've gone too slow. There are big structural issues that haven't gone addressed. We have to work within the democratic process. But let's be a little bit more bold.
0: What do you think happens if Trump wins? Because now, I mean, let me, let me again, sort of qualify that a little bit. Um, a friend of mine, uh, who I know from the magazine. Um, we actually, won't say who it is. No, I will. Because uh, <laughs> I really want him on the, on the podcast soon. Okay. Uh, Nils Gilman. Um, yeah. He, he did this study. We ran a piece uh, and I, that study is getting a lot of play these days about, uh, you know, what happens on election day if it's close. Um and Nils and his group concluded that, in fact, uh, you know, uh, the lot of likely shenanigans that Trump administration might pull uh, were that to happen. Um, things like, you know, he might have the popular vote even on November because of mail-in ballots, but then in the, in the intervening week or so, you'll have, uh, you know, the popular vote switch over to Biden, and then you just have all sorts of stuff because of media strategies and uh, refusals to uh, acknowledge and et cetera, et cetera. And then the potential of unrest sort of lies in the back of all of this. Um, the The thing that strikes me about it is talking to some of my uh, more right-wing friends. Um, they're all convinced that that, you know, there won't be any trouble from sort of uh right wing militias or whatever that it is that people are most worried about, but in fact that uh the sort of mainstream, the cultural mainstream would just reject the possibility of Trump winning. And so they always say that like, look, Russia Gate was a complete and disastrous hoax meant to simply disqualify uh and delegitimate uh Donald Trump for all his flaws, a uh, you know, A legitimately elected president. Um, And if you thought that was something, imagine what's coming next. And they point to Nils's uh, um, study and the essays that have spawned it. And they say, this is already the liberals uh, preparing us for rejectionism on their part. The left is getting ready for the destruction of democracy, because if Trump wins, there's no way they'll let him take on the second term. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah. OK, so um, I'm actually sympathetic to that. And so 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 we got two basic scenarios. Um, one is um, so if Trump wins. OK, let's let me let me start a different way. If, if Biden wins, I think that many Republicans are obviously going to be angry, scared, disappointed, whatever it might be. But I agree that there's likely to be basic respect for the outcome because if Biden wins, he'll almost certainly win the popular vote as in addition to electoral college, which means that his victory will be more clear cut, it will be less contested. And also, let's be honest, um, Biden isn't as scary to Republicans as Trump is to Democrats. And understandably so, Biden is basically in the center of the Democratic Party. Trump is unusual in the historical context of the Republican Party. So in terms of what candidate provokes more fear, it's no contest. Um, Now, if it was like, I don't know, AOC running, or Ilhan Omar, or maybe even Bernie, I suppose that folks on the right could try to make an argument that it was an existential threat. But when we're talking about Joe Biden being president, I think it's hard to see Joe Biden's face and his kind of um, his uncle demeanor and think to yourself, he's about to destroy the country and make it into a socialist paradise or sorry, a socialist nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um On the other hand, um, if Trump wins, he'll probably lose the popular vote. The Electoral College will be very close. And um, I think there's also an expectations game. We've been, we Democrats and liberals, we've gotten this idea run into us for the last several months that this is Biden's to win, that Biden has such a built in advantage. The polls show that you have like, you know, seven to 10 points ahead over Trump. So we are we are very much expecting for the last four years to be over and to have um, a new administration. If that doesn't happen, it's going to be such a shock to so many folks on the left and so many folks in the Democratic Party. They're going to have so much trouble processing the results. And honestly, I don't think they will be able to process it. It was hard enough for them to process 2016. And that's where a lot of the Russiagate stuff came from, because people had to make sense of the nonsensical.
0: Remember, they, though, Shadi, just to add, just I'll let you finish. But it's it's not just the party and the left. It's it's journalists. It's the entire media establishment. I oh, mean, yeah, I think elites, that's yeah. that, the entire elite sort of structure. Right. It's not just it's not just Party folks and 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 politicos that would, no. that would face this. Yeah.
1: You know, I think that a lot of New York Times journalists, some of whom shall not be named, will will, you know, resort to saying that this is basically an illegitimate victory, that a combination of voter suppression, Russian influence and God knows what else, like the fact that it was raining on Election Day, COVID, COVID whatever mail in the mail, stuff, everything, the, the yeah. post office be, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be able to come up with some set of external factors that pushed that tip the balance in Trump's direction, and they're gonna say Trump is not the legitimate president. Right. Now, on the other hand, as much as I dislike Mitch McConnell, and I think that in some ways he is kind of a malevolent figure, um, if Biden wins, I have trouble thinking to myself that mainstream right of center journalists or right or normal Republican officials are gonna be really saying that, um, Biden did not actually win in saying he was illegitimate they might they might use some language like that but again if if the result is clear cut enough both on the popular vote level and electoral college vote level, is Mitch McConnell really going to be um does he want to die on that hill and and be remembered as the guy you know i i just i don 't see
0: I, I mean well well, as far as that goes i i don 't know i think i do but, think that that it 's very much a bipartisan thing I mean come on like Mitch is the guy that that with the Supreme Court, uh, you know, maneuvers and things like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't see. I but, think. I think the difference is I don't see an, an easy avenue for him to do that. I don't think he's beyond. That's it what though. I. That's, that's what like, I mean. Yeah, like if he yeah. could
1: get his way and undermine Biden's victory, I'm sure he would. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is that the context would be so. Dif- it would be really difficult for him to do that. Um, first of all, if Trump is clearly on the on the losing side. I think Republicans are going to th- try to think ahead of how they get past that and how they save the party. They won't want to be dragged down by a losing battle. Yeah. Um, they have to believe that if, they're, if they think that they can challenge this through the Supreme Court or whatever it might be, then they'll probably do that. But again, if it's a clear-cut victory – on Biden's part, they're gonna to have to move on pretty quickly because it won't be in their interest to 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 lose with Trump, right? Because right. they have party interests. And let's be honest, they've indulged Trump. They might like aspects of Trump's agenda, but they're not exactly people who love Trump. And I think they'd be willing to kind of push him to the side if they felt it was in their own interest. And God forbid if it came to this, but if there was a clear Biden victory, and Trump was refusing to concede. You know, the, there might be military officials who make who kind of in the background. They're talking to Mitch McConnell like in a friendly way. Nothing formal. let's none of this coup uh, coup business and all that. Um, but they're saying, "Hey, Mitch, listen, man um enough is enough let's move on let's get going and then mitch sort of gets the message and decides not to not to kind of make this into some big constitutional crisis you can imagine scenarios where there will just be so much pressure on republicans to kind of accept and they already had their chance they had their four years it makes sense now You know, um, if anyway, maybe I'm being too optimistic here, but I also think that there's a lot of right of center journalists and right of center commentators who will respect a Biden victory in a way that left of center journalists will not respect a Trump victory.
0: Yeah. You know, part of the, the, the sort of rejectionist porn narrative is this idea that that Trump will just say no and stay in office. But. Uh, The good news there is that, like, if there's no clear cut, um, you know, uh, decision on who won, uh, I don't know, I think it's by inauguration, it might be even sooner than that. Uh, It's not like the power stays with the incumbent. Uh, I think it devolves to the Speaker of the House. Yeah. So, so
1: automatically, even if Trump refuses no, to. So that,
0: to- that's part of it. That's part of the the like military thing. And the other data that I think is important is that really ever since Trump um, uh, pulled his stunt in front of the White House with the church and whatever, uh, I think, you know, with that, he's hurt his standing with the generals. And I saw some polls recently that he's actually increasingly unpopular with uh, rank and file troops as well. Um So I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm not that, still not that worried about, you know, the sort of nightmare, nightmare scenarios, except, except the thing that sort of worries me is that um, people are exhausted by, um, they're exhausted by uh, this kind of drumbeat by, you know the newly, uh, emboldened, uh, mainstream left, let's say that is mouthing things that are just so contrary to just basic sort of common sense that people feel and understand people that haven't don't really deal with politics so much. They like tune in a little bit and they're like, wait, what are these idiots saying? What is this about? And that, you know, uh, in general that, People who haven't been paying that much attention know that this has been a really shitty year. Um, you know, blame Trump for some of it, but then they start tuning in and they're like, what are these clowns doing? I don't know about this. Um, let's say that, uh, you know, a vaccine comes in by the end of the year and, uh, you know, numbers are going down. I I, I don't know. I, I think there's there's too many things that I just don't think will happen, but let's assume somehow they they bend the right sort of way. Um I am worried that like maybe Trump could pull it out and then you have this this kind of just incomprehension because the worst thing I think on any side is to think that you are incontrovertibly right about something. If you think that you have a full moral cause on your side, um I don't know. I, I I I think that leads to some really bad politics generally. And
1: and would you agree with this that you know, uh, um, Republic you know Republicans who might otherwise who like Trump uh, planning on voting for him in November, if you ask them about the cause and you ask them about Trump, I don't think um, I don't think a lot of them would necessarily justify it in morally absolute terms, and oftentimes. What Trump supporters say, if you look at focus groups, interviews, reporting, whatever, they'll acknowledge that Trump is far from perfect. Um, Where I think that if you the way Democrats talk about victory for them, Biden is a vessel for the progress of history.
0: Should politics be amoral?
1: Wait, what? Should politics be (laughs) amoral? Wait, tell me why, why. Why do you why do you ask that?
0: I don't no know, I was just thinking, no, 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 I mean because not politics, obviously you need to have some level of conviction to do things, and you need to have some conception of the good I, you know um, but I feel like you have to temper it. I mean, this is yes, part of what you yes. talk about, right? is that like if you have to understand that 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 all victories are provisional, nothing's final, that it's all part of process and it's all part of sharing power and and that everything necessarily is that. so you't you can't be absolutist about it.
1: Exactly. And that's what I worry. The Democrats yeah. are more absolutist in the sense that if Trump wins, it means that um, history is basically being undone, that something fundamental, almost like um, almost something like on a, on a metaphysical level, it means that everything they have believed to be true about what should be. Will have been undermined in a way and i worry too that you'll have people uh, on the left who really lose faith in a fundamental way in the democratic process that they start to lose faith that they can even win through elections because if you have a not terribly weak candidate like biden not the strongest candidate but also not a disaster either you know less controversial less polarizing all that and he still manages to lose to Trump in the midst of a devastating pandemic um, that Trump has quite clearly mishandled to some degree or another. It raises the question of when when and how can Democrats win? If if they can't beat Trump now, when can they beat a Republican? So I think that's what it calls into question. So I think it'll just, people's minds will combust at such a level that I think it will only result in out outbursts of violence. And we, I mean, we already have some of that now, but riding on a larger scale, so on and so forth. And this is why if I, I wouldn't necessarily, I'd be careful about how I made this argument publicly. Well, I guess I'm making it right now publicly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, if I'm talking to a Republican friend and they're sort of on the fence, maybe they won't vote for Trump or they'll just abstain. I'll be like, listen, If you're worried about rioting and violence, um, Joe Biden winning means a lesser likelihood of widespread low-level violence and rioting. Yeah, Because if Trump wins, you can expect to see more of that. Now, they might respond and say, well, isn't that basically like hostage-taking? So you're telling me that I have to want Biden to win, otherwise there will be violence? You know, that's not the best, you know, I understand that's not generally how we like to think of our electoral preferences, but on a purely descriptive level, if I'm just describing what the likely outcomes are, I think it's fair to say that violence is more likely if Trump wins than if Biden wins,
0: you know, but is that fair? No, I mean, I think it's fair. But, you know, the the other thing that sort of strikes me about this is like who it gets back to the question of like, who are these revolutionaries? Right. Right. Like everyone, everyone um, crapped on on the Republicans and Trump and and Bill Barr when when he was um, in the early days of this. Like was like Antifa is a terrorist organization, but you know what? I mean, it's it's um, it's interesting. It's like you know, it's the people that Black Lives Matter is able to mobilize is much larger than the people that are actually doing the rioting, and. I don't know. I mean, my own like very limited experience. We talked about it live when people were were sort of breaking shit here in DC. Um, it was it was like these weird anarchist kids that were sort of leading it. Yeah, sure. You know, like probably some people. There is some crossover of like Black Lives Matter, like committed activists and and um, uh, um, and some of these sort of like Antifa things. But it's it's a, it is a sort of small number of people. And compared to that, it's like you know you look at the 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 charlottesville march the white supremacist thing um and then you look at these some of these uh you know uh people walking around with ak's uh in riot zones and 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 the rest of this i mean this is also a vanishingly small number of people and yeah okay so you know you you put that together and you get some 17 year old running around with an ak and a dude with a skateboard tries to take him down and gets shot in the chest and gets killed um horrific, senseless loss of life and the rest of this, but it's not representative of anything. It's not, it's not where the country's at. It's like, it's, it's, it's purely small, symbolic stuff. So I, I, it's like, I wonder again, it's like, you know, what will be the violence if Trump wins? Uh, what, like these Antifa douchebags, like with crossover and Black Lives Matter? Like, it's not like New York Times journalists are going to like go out and, and break shit. They're a bunch of Fat slobs, you know, like a bunch of, like, pasty Twitter-using scribblers. These these aren't people that do anything. These are people that bitch about, like, stuff on social media. So it's like—and then, yeah, so you you might get, like, you know, more well-heeled people— uh, like Michelle Goldberg and sort of more establishment journalists and people being like, Oh, and you know, Ann Applebaum, like, Oh, I, my country. And then they fuck off to Europe and like, good, good riddance, you know? No, but- no. My, my, yeah. But my concern
1: is that if you have a narrative that Trump is completely illegitimate this time, yeah. so he was kind of illegitimate in 2016, he's completely illegitimate this time that creates a broader context where Maybe maybe elites aren't advocating for, for violence, but they're creating a conducive atmosphere right. for a kind of nihilistic politics. And you're oh, right, that's a very small yeah. percentage of people. But you don't need a lot of people for nihilistic politics to actually be successful. You just need the 3 the three or 4% that go out in the streets and mess shit up, just like we're having now. It's a very small number of people that, at least in places like Portland, let's say, or in, 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 in Kenosha, who were um, who who you know there were city blocks that were destroyed sure. and you know, for example, like our friend Josh Glancy, who was there last week and he had that big Twitter thread where he took some pictures um, in Kenosha and um, and he's like, this looks like Beirut, which is maybe not fair to Beirut. I don't know what Beirut looks like exactly right now but um, this idea that it looks like a war zone, and I guess people use Beirut to convey that idea for better or worse. Um, So, um, and then some people would say, well, if you go a a few blocks east of that, everything is fine, there's no broken in buildings, nothing is destroyed. But still, if you have a couple city blocks that are pretty much leveled, that is enough to create a real sense of chaos and uncertainty and instability. That then has second and third order effects. And that's all you need for things to get scary. Cause even now, like people like in Portland, it's just a couple city blocks, but it creates this atmosphere that no one is control in control, that the police aren't even there, and that every man or woman has to fend for themselves if they get close to this particular radius of city blocks. So that's what we're talking about here. Do I think more of that will happen? It doesn't have to be a lot more, but even if it's a little bit more than what we've already seen in places like Portland, that is something I think we all should really want to avoid. And if you have that going on in a context where people are saying Trump is illegitimate and that we have to challenge the, I mean, it just like, that's a very combustible situation. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? No, right? yeah,
0: totally. I you know, it, it's uh, here's the question. Um, Black Lives Matter got started under Obama's second term. Um, I think one of the other is sort of um, stated people state this, maybe not frequently, but a stated assumption is that like if Biden wins, a lot of the these tensions will will come down. But what if? Biden wins and actually turns out to be that which I think that I certainly and probably you also assume is that he's actually uh, is, in fact, a very incrementalist sort of guy that will not really be able to address any of the the truly out, uh, underlying sort of pathologies that have, you know, brought us to this point. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is is.
1: Yeah, he won't. I agree with you. I well, just want to push pause for four years and then we can elect AOC in 2024 or whatever. Oh,
0: no, sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we can we can get to that. But like the 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 question is, is do you push pause? Like, do you have uh, do you have like a democratic civil war for the next four years? To what extent does Biden represent? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a consensus right now where like whatever it is that Michelle Goldberg said on that podcast, but like you know, yes, 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 placate the, the suburban rubes that are, you know, secretly racist anyway. But, you know, we just need to unseat Trump and then we'll take care of it. But then it turns out that, in fact, I'm right, and Biden doesn't give a shit about the left at all, and actually spends most of his time before he dies in office uh, actually just thwarting every every initiative that, that the true activists want, that, in fact, revolution is not even close to at hand. And then you get, like, a really nasty sort of... Uh, internal squabble. What do you, what do you think of that? Like, what are the, like, well, look, I,
1: I preferred internal squabble for four years over a right left divide where people are threatening violence against each other. I'd, maybe it's time to have a family, um, a family fight and then pause on the Trump and everyone else fight, which I think is, which to me at least threatens the foundations of democracy, not because Trump is a threat to the foundations of democracy. As you know, and as I think a lot of folks will know, I've been very much an opponent of the Trump is an existential threat discourse. However, what I do think is an existential threat is the, um, you know, what Trump, the fears and the disrespect for democratic outcomes that Trump provokes among his opponents, that to me is, is an existential threat. My goal for the time being is to lower the number of Americans who lose faith or who will lose faith in the democratic process. Yeah. And the longer that Trump is around, the more that Trump's opponents will lose their shit and lose their minds because Trump is very good at doing that. Trump creates a trap for people where they can no longer think rationally. Now, I mean, is that Trump's fault? Or should we blame the people who are losing their minds? I mean, we can debate, but the outcome is still the same, people losing their minds. So if I can have a different kind of divide where people are angry, more angry um, with Joe Biden than they are with Donald Trump, that seems to me to be a more pro-democracy outcome because that's not really questioning the foundations of the democratic system. You don't necessarily – people can primary Biden. So if Biden is boosting other center, centrist candidates, Democrat, you know, Democrats and folks on the left will still feel empowered to do primary challenges. They'll still have avenues to challenge Biden in the court of public opinion. The New York Times is still going to be there criticizing. Nicole Hannah-Jones will be criticizing Biden and saying that he's God knows what that he's, um, he's a 1776-er and not a 1619-er or whatever it might be. So you're still going to have people through these influential institutions really keeping Joe Biden on his toes. And I think Joe Biden, you know, he's, he's a consensual figure in the sense that he doesn't want to indulge the left, but he doesn't also – he understands that they're an important um, faction – Within the party, so he'll at least have to give them something, right? Will he? I mean, that's. I mean,
0: a, I mean and and it, it depends what the the ask is ultimately, and that's the question of like how serious this this left faction is, and you know, I mean, it's interesting because we we're, we we sort of keep um, flitting back and forth between, uh, you know, an idea of like the the left being. Um, the uh economic left that that bernie sanders represents and perhaps that to a certain extent aoc represents but it's i think it is a mistake to make that distinction because it's not like bernie you know apart from that interview with ezra four years ago uh it's not like bernie's just been thwarting the woke line he's been courting it as much as anyone it's not like it's not like uh, AOC is, is just some sort of, you know, economic communist. She's, she's uh, very much bought into all this sort of uh, culture war stuff. So, you know, the question is, 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 what's the ask of Biden? The second question is, um, if he doesn't give it, uh, to what extent will uh, the left stand with him against the right, or will they just undercut him? Um, Because my feeling is, is that the right will never stand with Biden. They will let him, they want a failed president as much as anything. So even if it's him facing off against like the worst Jacobins in his own party, they'll let him dangle. They will not like bail him out on anything. Um, So then, you know, uh, the question is, uh, you have a lot of people potentially rooting for a really catastrophically failed Biden presidency right is that what we're looking at and no. and and not on and not on like Bernie grounds, but on like on on insane woke grounds on insane revolutionary grounds and like cultural revolutionary not like economic revolutionary grounds though again i'm not sure it's so easy to to okay
1: look I guess like I have a built in assumption here that a lot of Americans even woke Americans are slightly tired and exhausted. And I think that what Biden at least offers the prospect of is people taking a break. Even the woke revolutionaries, like even revolutionaries have a finite amount of attention and energy. Yeah. At some point, they're going to like go home and go on a date or something. I don't know. Like, what do revolutionaries do? They must have other activities.
0: So- Stalin never went on dates. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wasn't Stalin married? Yeah, I mean, but I don't know how that happened in those revolutionary circles. I, think, I don't think you dated. Anyway... <laughs>
1: Um, and, uh, I don't know. And maybe I'm just assuming some, uh, I'm assuming something based on a premise, which won't actually hold during a Biden presidency. But, um, look, a lot of this is selfish too. I am so exhausted with our politics and I even tweeted at at various points. Like, I don't, I think that there's a part of me where I've just realized I don't like politics. Yeah. And, like, one thing I loved about the past two weeks or so is I've cut down on my Twitter usage considerably. I do – like, what I want to do is do one big Twitter thread a week and just the rest of the week, I just rest and not deal with it because, you know, um, you know I go on and um, I, I don't like this stuff. Um, anyway, this is like a, a recurring theme that we always get back to is how much – we um, dislike Twitter, and I think finally I'm finding the right balance. Mm. And so some of this is about the way that I want to live my life. Yeah. I just think a a Biden victory will be better for my mind. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Sure. Is that
1: selfish? Uh, is that selfish? Yes. So yes. <laughs> even, even if revolutionary revolutionaries are still sort of going around and trying to undermine the Biden presidency, they won't like they won't be in my mind. I wanna stop all this dumb woke stuff. Well, I guess the woke stuff is gonna be there. I just have to stop paying as much attention to it. But my hope is that Biden Biden winning, I don't know, it's interesting. Like how will, woke? I mean, the woke stuff that is maybe not about rioting, because there's a lot of woke people who are just elites who would never actually participate in a riot but they still have really ridiculous politics and they say dumb things on Twitter 24-7. An interesting question is, are they going to be just as dumb and ridiculous as they currently are? Or will we see the level of ridiculousness drop slightly? Because, I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting question. But the, the I don't know where I'm going with no, this. No, but I mean, I don't, I don't,
0: I don't think it's going to drop significantly. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is just react. It's like, Revolutionary or reactionary revolutionaryism—that is, it's just like a reaction to the uh, the spectacle, the grotesque spectacle of Trumpism that that it's it's gotten so crazy. But but I wonder if that's the case. You know, I, I I've said this to you before. It's it's you know, at the magazine we had sort of younger kids coming up, and they're all straight out of college usually, and and uh, and they come in and they're like, my God, campus is so messed up and yeah. uh and and i'm like oh whippersnapper campus is always messed up you know like uh you'll grow up and you'll see people people get normal um and then finally it broke out it broke through into the popular culture in ways that are totally unexpected and just as an aside um uh, a former colleague of mine is just going to grad school now and 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 uh and he's also struck by the 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 mood there. He he like me had been out in the real world for a while, and he thought that a lot of the campus stuff was was perhaps overstated. And and um, you know he's he's like, huh, okay. So you know I I I wonder I wonder how much it does go down. I do think it's still fringe, and that's the thing that that's again maybe this is a, a way to sort of um, get back to where we started is. Um, I'm, I still, I just, I, I, I don't care that the New York Times has gone off the deep end. Uh, I, I see it as an opportunity. And because I don't think that the New York Times represents anything meaningful. Uh, I don't think it represents, it represents the, the like a, a really huge megaphone, which you're right, you know, if Trump pulls out some sort of victory that is uh, within the bounds of, of, you know, Democratic norms, uh Understood through the electoral college and the rest of this They will that will cause a lot of trouble But I, I really do think um, There there are strong limits To how hard the revolution Can be pushed in this country Because I, I still don't think we're even close to Revolutionary times And so the more These people think That they are on the cusp of revolution And the more frustrated they get uh, I think They are more self-marginalizing, which again yeah. is what makes me excited to be doing our own thing and and you know on our own platform and and basically any any opportunity for for revolutionaries to have any sort of sort of say or sway and on any of this like good, you have your platforms enjoy yourselves like there's there's no there's no shutting this up because it's I I I just think this is where the country's at not like what we're doing, that we are the center, but you know what I mean? Like in general, this kind of like, you know, broad sympathy to, to pathologies, but like simmer down you crazies. I think that is where the country's at. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I like that. It's a good way of describing it. Um, And that's what we represent, I think at wisdom of crowds, but you know, uh, and and you mentioned the New York times though. um, I, it does, it does sadden me as we talked about before that, I don't really have an obvious place to go in the morning to know what the news is. There aren't really news outlets the way there, the way there were before, because everything is being editorialized. And that's why, you know what? If you're not happy with the New York Times, you know what your homepage should be: WisdomofCrowds.live. <laughs> That's what your homepage should be. Shadi,
0: you're committing us to actually doing news gathering now. We're not not quite there yet.
1: Oh, crap. Okay. (laughs) Well, you should still make it your homepage. Uh, We can't give you the news, but we will give you some really interesting interpretations of the news, I guess, or something like that. Something like that. But um, that's not really actually what we do. But if you do want to find out what we do, you should go to our website. And um, we should probably close up, Demir, and I'll just say that like, you know, it's been it's been great to do this live. Thanks to all of you for joining. Um, check out our website. Spread the word on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at um, W Crowds Live. That is the Twitter handle for this entire endeavor. Do consider signing up to become a member and and paying a bit to support us if you like what we do. And also give us some feedback about, you know, uh, what you think about the website, what you want us to do more of, less of, whatever. Um, and, of course, you can always find the podcast as well on um, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. So, you know, join us and be a part of this community because we love to hear from you guys and we love to interact w- with you guys. Um, Demir, any final parting shots?
0: No, that's uh, that's pretty much all spot on you know stay tuned uh like uh like we sort of stress all the time this is kind of an experiment and uh you know we 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 have these sort of three buckets right now but who knows what's going to develop that's the the beauty of having your own sort of website and being able to sort of play um so stay tuned and yeah uh look forward to hearing what you guys think all right okay talk soon talk to you later
1: bye everyone